Hayden Dinell. I'm not sure if he's going to be talking about wallabies tonight. He's got other things to talk about. Good evening. Kia ora, Karen. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, we are going to start with today's news because we hope we're going to get more TV channels for New Zealand. Thank goodness, more TV channels on their way. Discovery, uh, which just as a reminder, if you haven't been keeping abreast of media ownership in New Zealand, that's the entertainment giant which acquired MediaWorks' TV arm late last year, uh, and it has announced its slate for 2022, and it is announcing two new channels. So there's Gusto, that will replace Choice TV, which is kind of a little watch property that it had, and it's going to be a bigger free-to-air channel, and it's going to have lifestyle shows like Changing Rooms UK on it. And there's another one as well, uh, which is called Rush, and it's going to have sort of all of those adventure and survival shows that Discovery owns, so sort of stuff like Man vs. Wild. And the company is also revamping its news content. Gusto and Rush, it sounds like a law firm. <laughs> Gusto and Rush? Uh, right. It's a very exciting law firm. I'd say it's a defence firm uh, <laughs> yes. and a prosecution. <laughs> so what are they doing with their news content? Yeah, n- now you'll be relieved as a fan of News Hub at 6. That's not really changing. That's still an hour. You're still going to have your Mike McRobertses and your Sam Hayes. What do you mean, uh, I'll be relieved? I just I just picked you as a News Hub at Six fan, Karen. But uh, there will be a new news bulletin at eight, and uh, that will be surprisingly called News Hub at eight. And that will apparently feature live interviews, that kind of thing. They're also remaking. Stop me if this sounds like something that's happened before, or giving you deja vu. They're remaking News Hub late, and so this seems like something that has happened a few times even in the last few years. The press release says they're giving the show its own identity. And I feel like this is just the latest attempt to to the magic of that much-mourned late-night show Nightline, uh, which you might remember launching the careers of people like David Barrier and the aforementioned Sam Hayes. Yes, and even before that. uh, Are Gusto and Rush going to be mostly filled with imported shows or are we going to get some local content in there as well? Well, it seems like, I mean, there was there was a show that was announced for Gusto called Great Southern Truckers, which is apparently uh, local content, but most of the slate on those did seem like it was imported content. But good news for people that do like local content, apparently the station or the Discovery is going to be hosting 70% more local content. Uh, I wouldn't be breaking out the champagne just yet if you're a local production company that specialises in drama or comedy shows or scripted shows in general just yet, though, because nearly all of that local content does seem to be reality-based. So I'll just name some of the titles. You've got Nadia's Farm, which is about Nadia Lim's farm. Uh, My Town Makeover. This one sounds exciting. My Town Uh, Makeover. We're, yeah, I guess dilapidated or otherwise down in the dumps towns get a makeover. You, I don't know where we're talking. I mean, the, the classic one would be Huntley. Maybe it'll get a makeover. Uh, you've got, sorry to Huntley. That'll be there. some makeover. How much money are they spending on that? Well, this is what I'm really excited by. What's the budget on this stuff? <laughs> Maybe they bring the whole of Discovery's might to bear on remaking our sort of rural towns and some of our uh, less well-to-do places, and they're going to get real character. Um, 
I'm I'm excited by that. I what I hope they don't do is revamp some of our landmarks like the Huntley Decker sign. That has already had one disastrous makeover. But I'm straying into some of my other areas of passion instead of the media now. Uh, the last one that I will highlight uh, there is uh, Sort Your Life Out, which Three is calling an extreme home decluttering journey. <laughs> Marie Kondoing. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so uh, I, that, that's going to be all on Three and Gusto and Rush, which are these sort of main TV shows. <laughs> yes. Gary's text to say, hopefully no more reality building and renovation programs. Uh, yeah, luck, Gary. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Gary. There's <laughs> the blocks coming back. Uh, you've got Dancing with the Stars NZ as well. You've got MasterChef NZ. You've got a lot of reality on your way. Well, reality was in full force in Wellington yesterday, that march on Parliament that included anti-vaxxers, and that march presented some dilemmas for the media. How do you think they handled it? Yeah, reality and also a lack of connection to reality on full display there. Now, uh, I mean, I thought the media handled it okay. Now, proviso up front, I've been a strong proponent uh, of the idea that the best uh, way to cover misinformation is to simply not cover it, to rather than fact check it or cover it critically to just not give it oxygen and that's actually the most uh, I guess responsible approach to covering misinformation that wasn't really an option I think yesterday right because you had 3,000 people marching on parliament, huge crowd and you had stuff like threats of violence against politicians swirling about. It's a pretty hard thing to ignore. So the second uh, course of action that you really do have before you is taking care with how you frame these stories. And I've sort of, I mean, one approach that's been sort of proposed overseas, particularly in the US, the truth sandwich, where you say accurate information first, then report on the disinformation, then reinforce the truth. You told us about that a couple of weeks ago. I did. Uh, this is where, see, we're, we're bringing up, we've got um, motifs that are recurring in but our. Uh, we have, but we called it something else, not a truth sandwich, but carry no, on. I, I, I call it a truth sandwich, and I've never strayed from that. Um, uh, this is how One News did it. I think they follow this formula pretty well. This is Wendy Petrie introducing Jessica Much Mackay's package on the protest. New research shows people stuck at home are being bombarded with misinformation that's becoming increasingly violent and racist. Here's political editor Jessica Much Mackay. 3,000 marching through the capital. That's how the story began, immediately up front, framing it in the context of the rise of disinformation and misinformation in uh, New Zealand. And so the story also contains some perspectives from people like these. Experts say there's evidence extreme groups are tapping into causes like Māori rights movements. The devastating consequences of that are one that the people who have worked on and led these movements now for generations are becoming targeted. But this woman turned up to defend the Prime Minister. I thought if I come along I can always throw myself in front of the pricks. That was uh, Tina Ngata talking about how anti-vaxxers are targeting Indigenous people first off, and then there was a random passerby with a reasonably aggressive attitude to the protesters second. Just on what Tina Ngata was talking about there, I think that's something that's really worth um, investigating further if you do want to 
sort of look at uh, why sometimes these conspiracy narratives uh, do appeal more to Indigenous people who have been more mistreated by the state historically. I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to investigate that. I've actually written about that for New Zealand Geographic, just to plug my own story, called Reason to Believe. Uh, now, over on News Hub, the framing wasn't quite so direct and didn't adhere quite so directly to that kind of uh, truth sandwich uh, format, but Tova O'Brien did say the protesters were fueled by misinformation in her live cross following her story, and the package immediately following hers was about those disinformation project findings that Wendy Petrie mentioned earlier from Tapunaha Matatini. Uh, now, I, I thought that these were pretty good. You know, the media framed this, this, these reports in the context of misinformation. But this isn't unqualified praise. This is still Media Watch. I mean, we do have a tendency, I think, as reporters, to just kind of shove a mic in front of the most colourful person in any given situation like these protests. And in this case, it meant occasionally sticking a mic in the face of, like, for instance, a person carrying a sign emblazoned with hand-drawn swastikas in the words media treason. And I think you know, it's pretty tempting to go to these people uh, just because they seem like they're, you know, entertaining talent. But we could really stand to interrogate the consequences of making these editorial decisions before we just kind of hand over the microphone or whatever our platform is to them. But I think generally, once the dust settled, uh, the media did pretty good here. Okay, and I want to talk to you about uh, online misinformation that you're talking about. And uh, one outlet announced this week that they're taking a more liberal approach to social media moderation. Yeah, so the Herald appears to be the only organisation in the world that's looked at the internet recently and said, you know what, this needs less regulation. So, I mean, on the weekend, its social team delivered an update saying, they were relaxing their moderation standards on social media posts. And, I mean, they had been pretty stringent about shutting off comments, particularly if they're straight into vaccine misinformation and that kind of thing. Uh, but according to their statement on the weekend, that's not really so necessary anymore. They said, as the country nears 90% vaccination, uh, the debate is now around how we move on to living with COVID and what Aotearoa will look like, and they want to have that debate, uh, I guess, on the Herald's platforms. Well, so you can say what you like. Yeah, that's uh, that's 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 an unfair way I think of putting it. But you can say what you like a little bit more within reason. Uh, but I mean, as many have pointed out, and just from looking at any website recently, this will inevitably lead to more misinformation circulating for longer in their comments section. And I mean, this is a particular concern because it allows people who would ordinarily have quite a small reach to piggyback off the Herald's population, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on their page, uh, and to spread their ideas. And it's pretty notable, actually. I just saw this evening that RNZ has gone in the opposite direction, and so its social team announced today that due to an increase in harmful comments and misinformation and spam on the page in recent months, it will be turning off comments for the foreseeable future. Uh, and, I mean, that seems like probably a more justifiable course of action in response to the current environment out there on the internet. And, Hayden, uh, you wanted to credit an excellent interview with the Prime Minister. Who was that with? Oh, I, uh, look, this is uh, from the weekend. Q&A did an excellent interview with uh, Jacinda Ardern, but before I, I get into some of the actual interview, I just thought, 
uh, there was an interesting and pointed note at the start of it from the host, Jack Payne. And so here's, here's how that sounded. Now, for the sake of transparency, her office granted Q&A a total of two interviews this year with time limits. This, our second interview, was scheduled on a week and at a time of her office's choosing. It was filmed on Friday morning, and because of COVID restrictions, it couldn't be in person. Right, so that's Jack Tame explaining, as in a way that's probably a little bit unusual, all the stipulations that the Prime Minister's office put on them uh, for getting their uh, interviews and time limit, uh, uh, times that had been, uh, well, dates that had been obviously set by the Prime Minister, uh, number of interviews. I mean, that's all pretty normal, but it comes in the context of the Prime Minister getting a bit of criticism ever since the beginning of this year where she ditched her weekly interview with Mike Hosking. Uh, she's faced accusations that she's shying away from these tough interviews. And I mean, I did actually run the numbers on this a few months ago, and it didn't seem like she'd radically rejigged the balance of her media schedule away from news or anything like this. But this does kind of feed into a perception that she may be a little bit more reluctant to take on these tough interviews. And, I mean, as someone pointed out, uh, to me, I mean, Fletch Vaughan and Megan at ZM have had four interviews with her this year. I mean, that's double Q&A's annual count. And, uh, they're, they're, I mean, that's explainable in a way, right? There's value in going on a station like ZM to reach a younger audience with public health information. But there's also value, I think, in these longer-form interviews, and that was really shown over the weekend. I mean, even if she's still fronting up to some news organisations, if the PM is deprioritising these sorts of formats, then we will be poor for it. So what did you like so much about this specific interview? I mean, it's, it's partly um, the amount of detail that was covered and partly the way that the questions were put and partly the insistence on getting real answers to pressing questions. I think the length of time allowed actually gets more out of politicians, and it really allowed Jack Tame to tease out some of the PM's reasoning behind her decisions, particularly on alert levels, and highlight some inconsistencies in what she had to say. So this is what Jacinda Ardern had to say on why it wasn't failing Māori to move down to level three while they were still 20-plus points behind in vaccination rates. The but Prime Minister... suggestion that we have made... No, if I may... Your suggestion that we have taken decisions that have somehow consciously exposed people to risk is wrong. Level three is amongst the toughest restrictions you'll see used internationally. Okay. Level three, very tough, very tough, uh, able to restrict Delta. And uh, in, in, in it wasn't exposing people to risk. But earlier in the interview, this, she was actually asked about why uh, why Delta escaped uh, our lockdown defences. And this is what she said about why you can't blame the government for Delta escaping our lockdown defences. The second point to make uh, was that there had been many times before, of course, where we had not only managed uh, an outbreak at Level 3, we had only managed it at Level 3. So four was a chance for us to get control, and three was the opportunity to continue. But remember, uh, we were dealing with Delta in this scenario, which, and for many reasons, has behaved differently than our past experiences. Now, I see that as kind of two conflicting strands of argument. I mean, you've got uh, Delta is different. It's totally able to... Uh, 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 we can't restrict it with Level 3, but Level 3 is also protecting people, and it's totally adequate to protect people. And I think this is the kind of longer interview where you can tease out that kind of thing. I thought it was really valuable in uh, 
being able to kind of allow a politician to the the, the length of rope that they need, right, <laughs> to tie themselves in knots. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'd be uh, very disappointed if these kinds of interviews were cut from the PM schedule.